Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have Miles Kane, the man who has been around since the legendary beginning of Drift, which is one of the best sales teams out there. Nick, why should people listen? Miles is one of the most direct negotiators that we've ever had on this podcast. He doesn't play any games. The customer asks him for a discount, and he asks them, what are you willing to bring to the table in exchange? If you want to learn how to challenge your customer in negotiations and drive a deal to close through the procurement and legal process, you may want to listen to the next 28 minutes of this episode. Three, two, one, wait. Before we move on with this episode, are you willing to give a subscription in return? Click the subscribe button. Otherwise, close this episode right now. You don't deserve it. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to take advantage of the offer. All right, Miles, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three. Thanks, Nick. Number one, the prospecting tip that helped Drift scale from zero to $1.2 billion outcome in four years is all about using your outbound to fuel your inbound. What I mean by that is early on, we realized that trying to expect a cold buyer that you've never talked to to either answer the phone or actually reply to your email is really freaking hard to do. And so what we have done at Drift for years, and it's very successful, is 
It's very short, direct to the point, three or four sentences in an email asking that person with a call to action to click a link and learn more on the website. When you do that, you're driving that outbound action onto the website to learn more using a product like Drift or any other of the million tools that are out there to greet them on the website with a very contextual message that says, hey, John, thanks so much for taking a look at this case study. Here I am to chat, learn more, book a meeting, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, you get these hand raisers on your website actually saying, hey, I want to talk and learn more. Feels like an inbound lead, but it actually came from the outbound effort. So that's tip number one. Beautiful. What's number two, Miles? Number two is a give-get around negotiation. So there's nothing worse than you get to the late stage of the deal, you present your price, you're feeling good about it, and all of a sudden your buyer or person in procurement asks for a discount. And I see it often where an inexperienced rep will feel like, oh, we just have to immediately bend to whatever they're asking for, drop our price to try to get the deal done. Well, you know, there's always creative ways to do that to help get the deal done. The best tip about this, I like to say, is when the buyer asks for a discount, going back to them and saying, listen, Mr. or Mrs. Procurement, totally understand where you're coming from. We do feel strongly that based upon the expected value our product is going to deliver for your team, that we are priced competitively. However, before I go back to our finance team and ask for any additional price incentives, can you please let me know what you're willing to put on the table in exchange for that discount? And then the key there is to shut up and let that awkward pause simmer until they come up with something because you wanna know, is this a true partnership to work through in a negotiation? And you will see that they will come back and maybe offer a multi-year discount. Maybe they'll offer a customer reference or agree to be a case study, whatever it might be, but really putting them on the spot there to see what they're gonna give you in return for that discount. Brilliant. Round us out, Miles. What's number three? Yeah, number three, I think is a tried and true way of really helping understand a procurement process to help you accelerate your deals close to close quicker, as well as identify potential any gaps of why the deal might be taking longer. And it starts with three words, and then what? And what I mean by that is when you're talking to your champion or somebody in procurement and they say something along the lines of, oh, we just have to submit this order form to finance and it's going to come back to you. They haven't told you anything about the actual internal process. And so getting very comfortable with asking them in a very polite way, of course, and then what happens after it gets submitted to XYZ system or team or approval. And when they give you that answer, whatever it is, it goes to Susan in compliance first or John in finance has to review our T's and C's. Okay, great. And then what happens? Oh, now it gets sent into our Coupa system and there's five more rounds of approvers for that. Okay, great. And then what happens? And you want to keep pushing. It's a little awkward at first to do this, but it works very, it's a very critical part of the process to uncover every last piece up until the point they tell you who is the actual person or team who is going to physically or digitally sign that order form and send it back to you. Until you get that information, there is still potential gaps in your process that can lead to that deal slipping from a committed deal in quarter. All right, Miles. And so we start by asking that question. Before I go back, can you let me know what you're willing to bring to the table in exchange? What do people typically say to that? It's funny. You get all sorts of responses. It really helps you quickly understand what type of buyer you're working with. If it's a seasoned buyer, they will know there are typically three or four things that the sales rep is looking for. Like I said, it's either a multi-year agreement up front, 
referenceable customer, case study, speaking engagement, depending on where you're at in your own startup. If it's logos that you're looking for, getting their logo on your website can be worth its weight in gold. And so they'll usually offer something like that. You'll get a lot of times it breaks the ice, too. Like they will laugh and they'll understand that you're actually not just going to back down and give them whatever price to. So it it shows a decent amount of experience on your side that you're willing to stand up to the buyer. And if they give you something in return that feels valid, okay, great. If not, it's you know, it can be awkward and uncomfortable, but at least you're pushing back once before you're actually going back on any additional prices. What do I do when I get some people who have unreasonable asks? Because sometimes I think it's real when someone actually wants a 50% discount because you have that ankle biter competitor who's half the price. And then other times I feel like there are those people who just want a discount for the sake of getting a discount. How do I go about working them back up to a reasonable number and not just being like, okay, I'll see what I can do? I think it comes back to the work that you do with your champions leading up to that point. If you've run a solid value-based conversation where you're showing the customer the outcomes they are going to achieve, and it's not just the feature functions classic demo that so many people fall into, but if you feel comfortable about the value you're delivering there, one of my best recommendations is not being afraid to walk away. Like a lot of times that 50% discount type customer, they also become the biggest pain for your customer success or support team. Because even though they got a 50% discount, they're going to expect VIP treatment on the backside after they sign up. And a lot of times in the SaaS world, signing up bad deals like that, that are going to eventually churn a year or two later out, it's really, you're better off not signing them up in the first place, which is really hard to follow that as a sales rep. But thinking bigger and longer term and really thinking about good customers who are going to sign up, be sticky with your product and stay with you for several, several years, like that's the most important part. So I would say like not being afraid to walk away if the price point becomes that aggressively low. So similar question here. Let's say that they're asking you for something that is not necessarily tied to price. This is what trips me up the most in a negotiation where they ask for like these unconventional structured deals where it's like we have a decay curve on the number of user licenses that we've bought or stuff that's like administratively burdensome or almost impossible for my business to deliver. And it's a weird out of left field to ask. I don't even know how to respond in that scenario. And it sounds like if I say, hey, before I go back to my team and ask about this, can you let me know what you'd be willing to bring to the table in exchange? Like, I'm sort of opening it up where it's like, oh, they think I can do that. So when I get asked for something that we legitimately can't do, should I be shutting that down in its tracks? Like, how do you respond in a scenario like that? Yeah, like if it's an ask that you know already that your finance or ops or deal desk is going to shut down, like it's better to be transparent upfront on that. Buyers will appreciate that. And I think the tip I would give there is as best you can, removing yourself from the conversation and letting the market feedback guide the conversation. What I mean by that, like a simple shift is instead of saying like, oh, I am not going to give you XYZ discount, it's, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, totally understand where you're coming from. We've actually heard that from similar customers in the past, including XYZ referenceable customer you have. We'd love to talk to you about how we actually got through it with them and look at these amazing results that they're seeing now. And so you're removing yourself of being like, oh, you can't do this because I tell you to. And it's more just, listen, we've got tons of great customers already who have gone through this similar challenge. They've got on the other side. Here's the results they're seeing. All of a sudden, the buyer is going to look around and be like, okay, maybe what I'm asking for is a little bit crazy and they will back down. So Miles, I want to go back to some of the commercial side of things. So let's say I've gotten them to a reasonable amount. So they originally were asking for a 50% discount and then eventually they're like, okay, I'll give you some timeline and da, 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 and maybe it doesn't have to be 50%, but I still want a discount. Now, how do I make it 
such that I don't have to go back and forth 17 times. Cause I've seen some deals where a rep goes back, they're like, all right, we can give you 20%. And they're like, great, now I want a free month. Great, now I want an extra year. Now I want premium support, all this stuff. How do I end it one time? Yeah, great question. The first counter I would say to when they ask for that discount is the whole goal, you're absolutely right. You want to expect some negotiation, enterprise sales, it happens in every single deal, but getting it down to one turn is the ideal scenario. And the best way I've seen that work is in that scenario, they ask for XYZ discount. And depending on their ask, you know in your head what you're willing to actually give. But before you give it, you go back to the customer and say, listen, totally understand where you're coming from, willing to put my head on the line here internally. However, before I do that, I need to know if we do get this granted, you will agree to sign on the date, referenceable customer, whatever it might be. So you're getting them to agree to saying, listen, if we give you what you're asking for, this is done. That's not a back and forth of like several things after it's, if we give you that, what you're asking for, you agree to close the deal on this certain day in month, in quarter, whatever it might be. If they don't give you that, like there's no point in going back to your finance team and asking for a discount because your finance team, the first question they're going to ask is what are they getting in return? Are they signing early? Are they doing a multi-year, whatever it might be. So you're just preempting whatever that internal conversation you're going to have with your finance team. So this happened the other day with me. It was at beginning of the month. So beginning of April and we were negotiating with procurement. And we're like, where do you guys need to be? And they're like, we need to be here. And we're like, okay. It's like a 15% discount. Not completely unreasonable. And I was like, okay. Does that mean you guys can commit to getting this done by April 30th? And the guy goes, we're going to try. But when it's in the hands of the lawyers, sometimes there are some things that are out of my hands. So I can't hard commit to that. But we'll try. What do I do in that scenario? I think there's a bit of humility that goes back to this where we have to remember a couple of things. One is like, especially if you're selling to larger companies, I don't care who you are, you have to remind yourself that these buyers are dealing with at times dozens of vendors and contracts at the same time. And so just being transparent with yourself and your team to know that it's not just, oh, they're only looking at my product to try to buy it on this month. Sales is a fascinating world to be in because our results are black and white. You either hit your number or you don't, but the process is very great in that scenario. And the other part though, I would just add to is, if again, you've done your job earlier in the process of building a strong champion internally, leaning on that champion to say, listen, got to your legal team, sounds like a bit of a stalemate here. It's gonna come down to it. Is there anything you can do to get us to the top of the pile? Because it could literally just be a case of your champion going internally, who happens to be buddies with their general counsel and saying, hey, I know you're looking at five MSAs right now. Can you put this one to the top? I'm trying to get it done by April 15th. So Miles, this is one problem where I find that a lot of reps who are first closing enterprise deals, they just think legal is a process. It's like a stage. It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's in legal, right? But there are multiple stages to legal, like you just referenced. There's getting it assigned in the queue. Then there's actually having someone do the first cuts. And then there are the follow-on cuts and all this other stuff that happens in the legal process. And so there are multiple micro steps within the legal process. Do you have any best practices for making sure that legal does not drag out for months and months and months on end? It all starts earlier in the process, deep quality discovery questions where once you're through the initial discovery, you're doing the product, you've got some ROI going, you're entering that purchasing phase. The concept of discovery in an enterprise cycle happens continually up until you get that signed order in your inbox. And what I mean by that is once it's entering that purchasing phase, asking your champion, hey, can you walk me through how you the process that you've gone through for similar types of software purchases in the past? 
What does that time frame look like? Who is involved on the back end on the legal team? How many approvers are there? What have you seen? Just so that we can get a rough idea so that we can better forecast not only the time to closure, which is of course important, but also giving our own customer success team a heads up as to when we may be able to actually begin onboarding process. So just asking better, deeper qualifying questions, discovery process early on in that purchasing cycle, I think is very helpful. Miles, question on the legal process. I sell to law firms and it's amazing because what will happen is I've got a contract, right? I've been working with a a set of business leaders and lawyers who are reviewing this software and they're like, all right, we want to buy this thing. And then they send it over to a lawyer who wasn't involved in the demos and sales process. And they're reviewing this contract and they have no idea what my software does. And so they're redlining things and striking things totally and utterly out of context. What are you doing to brief the counsel of your buyer so that they don't end up in a scenario like that? Are you doing anything special in your communication with them? Yeah, a very, very good question. And I think back, so our legal team at Drift, I have to give them a plug. Best legal team I've ever worked with in my career. And the reason I say that, they have a very revenue-focused mindset where they're trying to help us close deals faster versus trying to get in the way. So I absolutely love working with lawyers who feel that way. One of the things they did early on was build our MSA very custom and specific to the Drift platform and offering. And so it's not a 15-page boilerplate enterprise technology agreement where any lawyer is going to do exactly that. It's two and a half pages, I think. It's very short and succinct and gets to the point of exactly our software, what it provides, all the legal limitations and everything that's in there. And so beyond that, though, our best reps, again, working with their champions, once it gets to that MSA portion, they will brief the team to say, listen, we are going to send you our MSA because it is 100% custom to the software that you're going to be buying. And getting that out ahead and talking to that legal team to let them know, hey, this is a specific MSA to the product or service that you are buying so that they know it's not just a off the shelf one that we got from lawyers.com or something like that. In addition to that, also being proactive to say that we understand that there will probably be some red lines and back and forth. However, we also highly recommend in the most efficient process, our legal team is willing and able to jump on a Zoom call to review any of those questions live versus there's nothing worse than just the back and forth on email because it just drags that cycle out longer and longer. So proactively getting their legal team on the phone or Zoom with your legal team, all of a sudden it's like, oh, They can talk about it as humans and come to a resolution right there versus hiding behind email for weeks at a time. That's killer. One of our favorite things to do to that point is after first cuts, we're going to know how ugly this thing is going to be. And so our limit internally is two cuts. The moment it goes past two cuts, we are setting up a call with people because it goes endlessly, endlessly, endlessly on. Now, Miles, I'm curious from your standpoint, one of the things that I oftentimes have challenges with is companies will just be sitting on first cuts or they'll be sitting on security reviews. We'll meet with our champion every single week. And it's like, yep, they'll work on it soon. And sometimes I feel like things just aren't moving at all. Mm. And so I'm curious, do you have any ways to wake people up or get things prioritized or even get the ball rolling when things aren't moving at all? The best sales cycles and the best sellers we have will literally start after a first solid discovery call. We call it internally a discovery letter that gets sent out after a discovery call. It's a template, but it gets very custom after every single company and deal that you're working. And it has every single step of our sales process that is mapped to their buyer's journey with actions, owners, and dates on it. And so we will will actually, in that first discovery call follow-up, 
have the legal process piece very much down at the bottom. We're not going to get to it for probably a couple of months, but it starts with that first call so that they understand. Because one of the things at Drift where we run into is Drift is a public facing chatbot. You see it on a website. A lot of customers think, oh, we're just here to buy a chatbot like off the shelf. Boom. Can we just get started quickly? And it's like, on average, it takes two to three months of a sales cycle, two to three months of an actual onboarding process. So we're talking to companies in May right now, like they're not going to be alive with Drift until maybe Thanksgiving, realistically. And so calling them out on that and reorienting them from the first conversation so that they understand, yeah, there's actually a lot more power and work that goes into this. The results are there and meaningful and worth it, but you have to be honest with yourselves about that process so you can work backwards from that. So answering your question long-winded, but it's every single call to reorient them. Well, I want to ask you something about this because one of the things you said earlier in the interview was you were talking about having a value-based sales conversation where you're focused on results and outcomes. And I don't know if I do this enough in my sales process. When you show up to a meeting where you're, you know, maybe you're deeper in discovery and you're finally talking about drift or you're in a demo, are you sitting there being like not showing the software and saying when people use drift, they increase inbound conversion 48%. Are you like talking about outcomes that way? Or are you doing it in a more nuanced way? I'm curious, like when you talk about what drift does, how do you say it? I think it's the proof points and the follow-ups to your discovery questions because leading with the value and the outcomes and the great ROI doesn't really mean anything to a customer without the right context as to their current state. Like the other like simple way we try to boil it down is like every single deal we have starts with a current state, understand the future state, what's the gap, work backwards, that's your deal cycle. It's the very like 30,000 foot view of it. And so before you can talk about the outcomes and the results, first of all, we all remember too that 60 to 70% of the buyer's journey happens before you even talk. So like these customers, they're on your website, they're on G2 Crowd, they're in LinkedIn talking to their community of users about what products and services to use. So hopefully they're a little bit educated there, but it's back to those early discovery conversations. And one of the best lines I ever heard from one of my coworkers years ago was he looked at me with a straight face and said, I really enjoy challenging my customers. And it was kind of like a tongue in cheek thing and we laughed about it, but he was so true and spot on. And still to this day, like asking your customers about their current state, what is it about their, uh, for us, it's a lead gen strategy. Like what is it about that strategy that's either failing? Where are they looking to optimize? What's the opportunity to grow? Once they start giving you some of their current state, then you can start to feather in, wow, this sounds just like what we did with Okta in the 2018, 2019. They started with us on this platform. These are the results they had after 12 months. Love to send you that case study, blah, 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 blah. So it's backing up from the discovery calls and referencing those proof points afterwards. Once you've established this, you're reciting this again in every single call. So they stay anchored on that. But you're also sort of marching this journey, this buyer's journey forward with them. What are the major steps that you know you need to teach a customer to take to bring your deals from point A to B? Yeah. The core components, very straightforward. It's a quick recap of what you heard, what you recommend next as steps and including in again, actions, owners and dates associated with that. And so I think the, the best way to think about it is helping customers understand how you have worked with similar like-minded customers to be successful. And again, as I talked about it earlier, I think, but the more you can take yourself out of the process of selling and actually you're just guiding the customer through their buyer's journey and coaching them on how they can get to the point of all of our amazing customers. Even if you only have a couple of customers and you're an early stage startup, you can use this to your behalf of saying, this is how we helped 
one other customer to achieve the results you had. It's these three or four pieces of the process. It, for us, it's usually we have to bring in marketing ops or IT or the inside sales team outside of just the digital or demand gen team. And so coaching them on those gaps, because a lot of times you're talking to somebody who is either a first time buyer of your product, they might be a first time buyer of any product. And so they don't really know what they don't know. You actually have the advantage here of we spend all day long talking to prospects, coaching them through this process. So the more you can specifically give them a path in an email format that you can go back and reference. So you're kind of politely calling them out to say, hey, listen, you know, a week ago we agreed to this step. Where are we at in this process? Have we got this next person bought in? So very concrete steps in that email. And I'm curious, one of the things you mentioned earlier was you don't want people to think of Drift just as a chatbot. You guys do a lot of different things. Oftentimes, the way you expand that mindset is by getting certain people involved in the deal cycle that that person may not normally get involved. And so I'm curious, are there certain steps that you're adding into that that your buyers might not normally expect to multi-thread the deal so it becomes a bigger deal or to get more users into it? I'm curious, like, what are you doing in the steps of that cycle to make the deal as big and wide as possible as well? Yeah, it's a great call out and something we spend a ton of time working on. Drift is a very interesting opportunity where we sell to the marketing team because they typically own the website and the budget for anything that touches the website. But the marketing team's internal customer is the sales team that they're on the hook to develop more leads for, right? Early on, very first conversation, having a good conversation with the marketing team. If the rep has done their research and knows who the key inside sales leaders are at that organization, even if we haven't talked to them, but we did a little LinkedIn search and saw that Nick and Armand happen to be the VPs of inside sales, we will ask the marketing team, hey, I noticed that Nick and Armand are the guys that are running the inside sales group. Uh, have you brought this up to them about this potential project with Drift? And again, the key there, shut up, let them answer. A lot of times they say, oh, actually, no, we haven't thought about that. Like this is a marketing tech spend. And that gives us that opportunity to coach them to say our most successful customers have equal buy-in with the sales team. Because again, your whole job as a marketer is to develop more leads from your website to your sales team. We can then bring that sales group onto the next call. All of a sudden, the sales team is there. They're also become a champion for you internally because they're going back to the marketing team saying, hey, when are we getting this drift thing? We want more leads, right? And all of a sudden, you're wider, you're multi-threaded, and also potentially that deal size is going to go up because marketers, historically, they want to start with a smaller crawl, walk, run approach. Sales leaders, if they see the value, they're going to go all in. If they've got a 200, 300-person sales team, you're going to get two or 300 seats out of it versus just going to marketing. This has been a phenomenal one, but we are running out of time. And so we got to move ourselves to our final question of the interview. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Well, let's turn that should to a shouldn't. The final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I think the best sellers that I've ever worked with are they, like I said before, jokingly, but sincerely mean it, being okay with challenging your customers. It is such a bad habit to just kind of take the customer at their word and just sit back and hope and pray that the deal is going to come in. I think that's the best, best one I would say and getting comfortable with asking the uncomfortable questions. Beautiful. Miles, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap from me and Armand coming up soon. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them your top four takeaways from this episode with miles kane include number one what are you willing to bring to the table in return number two and then what constantly be asking before you give concessions before you lock up pricing what are all the things that need to be done to get this deal done number three after every discovery call you're going to map out the buyer's journey and every single step that they need to take to buy software and where you stand today. And then lastly, number four, prime your champion with the nuances of your product or your MSA and be ready to jump on a call with their legal and your legal to get the final lines done. All right, Nick, those are four. How could people help us out? If you listened to this episode and you didn't subscribe to 30 Minutes to President's Club, you broke a rule. Armand asked you in the beginning of this episode to subscribe. And if you didn't do that, His heart's pounding. He's sweating. He is an unhappy man. You do not want to make Armand unhappy. So please, please go subscribe and we'll be checking next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes.